Welcome to How Now, the podcast where we talk about how to live in the now. And here's your host, Kim Martin Raymond. Peace and blessings, and welcome to another episode of How Now, where we talk about how to live in the now. I am your host, Kim Martin Raymond, and I am so grateful to be here this afternoon to talk about something that is so near and dear to us, something that is so serious that's going on in our society right now with this virus, with this COVID-19. So the name of this show is I Had COVID, But It Does Not Have Me. And I have a wonderful guest here who can attest to that. And I'm going to give her an opportunity in a moment to introduce herself because as we do with all of our How Now shows, We give people an opportunity to introduce themselves because we want them to be able to present themselves to the world by authentically expressing who they are. And who does that better than the person themselves? So I'm going to introduce to you our lovely, lovely guest who I had an opportunity to meet several years ago at an entrepreneur conference. And a little shout out to Sean Thomas. She uh, had a beautiful platform for people to come together and talk about entrepreneurship. And I had the pleasure of meeting this lovely young lady to talk about uh, you know, business and to network. And uh, she has always had a winning smile and something that she always says in her posts, because we, we become Facebook friends, and she always says, and yet again, I smile. And despite the things that are going on in, in this world today, she still says, and yet again, I smile. So I'm going to turn the floor over to Dr. Marjorie Roberts Crafton and allow her to introduce herself. Hey, Marjorie. Hi, Kim, and thank you so much for having me on. And before we get started, I just have to say thank you so much for using this platform. I'm Dr. Marjorie E. Roberts Crafton. Currently, I reside in Atlanta, Georgia. 60 years old, was living my life like it was golden. In March 26, 2020, COVID came into my life without any warning. I had been doing everything for the first couple of March, weeks in March that I could do to protect myself and my team because I was had this little part-time gig and I was managing a gift shop in a hospital here in Atlanta. And prior to that, they were having town hall meetings about COVID-19 and I was going every day faithfully to the meetings so that I could stay up on it and keep myself safe and my staff safe and the customers that were coming into the gift shop. But COVID-19 had other plans. So it got to running pretty rampant really quickly. And that hospital happened to be one of the first hospitals in Atlanta to start getting COVID cases. So in March the 17th, in the middle of the afternoon, they told me I had to close the gift shop down and because the hospital was going into sort of a lockdown and they weren't going to be letting people in and weren't going to be people coming in to see their loved ones so I just did a quick shutdown of the gift shop they said okay it's going to be a couple of weeks and uh, we'll call you guys back and that following Thursday March 26th 
I was just walking home from the mailbox because at that time I wasn't going anywhere. During that week between mm-hmm. the 17th of March and the 26th, I knew to stay home. I knew to stay to myself. But unbeknownst to me, COVID-19 was already in my body. Wow. So I was walking home from the mailbox and I kind of stumbled and lost my balance. And I didn't think anything of it. I just, you know, okay, we all stumble. But as the afternoon progressed on, I started to feel really weird and really scary weird. And uh, it was like somebody or something was just sucking the life out of me. Mm. And I just began to go down. So I just laid around that afternoon. And when my husband came home, I told him I just wasn't feeling like myself. I wasn't feeling good. So I was going to take it down early, took a little over-the-counter medication and laid down. And as the night went on, I just started to get really sick. I started having a really bad headache. I started throwing up. I started having really bad diarrhea. And all of this was going on simultaneously. It was all happening at the same time. So I really didn't know which one to address. So that night, I just kind of laid down. I twist and turn all night. And the next morning I woke up and I couldn't get out of the bed. I just couldn't do anything. I just couldn't do anything but lay there. And I told my husband, I don't know what's wrong, but whatever this is, you know, I'm going to work it out. And I just started trying to do all the old home remedies and everything that been in our family for years. And nothing was working. Absolutely nothing was working. I was just sick. So I just laid around the next couple of days, still not thinking anything about COVID-19 because, again, it was new. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know, you know, it's not that, you know. So I just got sicker and sicker, and all these weird things started happening to my body. And I started having really bad nightmares. I mean, really scary. And wow. I was sweating and hot and cold and I never got a really high fever. It was always low grade. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, couldn't do anything. And this went on for a couple of weeks. And then my husband said, you know, we got to get you to the hospital. So April 4th, I finally let them take me to the emergency room because at that point I wasn't doing anything but just laying around, just melting away. Wow. So I, they took me to the emergency room and they told, you know, they was like, well, you got to stop right here. Nobody can come here with you. I was sick. I was weak. And my husband pretty much had to drop me off. Wow. So I went on into the emergency room. And when I told them what my symptoms was, everything changed. Their whole attitude changed. Uh, They had a special area set up in the hospital for people like myself with symptoms like mine. And they just kind of corralled us all to this area. And they finally got to me. They were all dressed in PPE gear from head to toe. Uh, Everything was covered. It was just signs of of just, just everywhere. They was just covered. And it was just like something out of Grey's Anatomy, but a darker side. Right. There was no bedside manner. Wow. Um, they they were doing what they had to do, but they were treating me like I had never been treated before. 
So they did a, a EKG. They did a lung X-ray. They told me I was dehydrated, extremely dehydrated. So they hooked me up to IV, and they gave did all the other tests on me that they do when you go to the emergency room. Right. So I'm laying there. It was cold. They were cold. It was just they were moving, but they were moving in slow motion. So a couple of hours later, they came in and they said, well, you know, you're going to have to take this COVID test. Now, mind you, this was April 4th. I knew only what I knew about the COVID test from seeing on TV. And I knew I had seen, you know, what it looked like. But to see it in person, I was petrified. I was scared. I started crying. Um, They were like, you know, this has got to be done. There was no bedside manner. You know, they's like, we're just going to, it's got to go up your nose. We're going to send it up your nose as far back as we can go. And we should get your results. So the nurse, I didn't know then that it was being done wrong. So I didn't know. But anyway, the nurse kind of shoved this long looking Q-tip contraption up my nose real hard. and snatched it back down. And she told me, um, just get yourself together and you'll get your results. So when I came back a couple of hours later and they said, well, you don't have COVID-19, but you do have an upper respiratory infection and there's really nothing that we can do for you. You just got to go home, stay hydrated and just drink a lot of water and take Tylenol if you get a fever. But you need to get out of here because, you know, you don't have it. So I came home. I was so happy. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I dodged that bullet. Well, no, I didn't. I got even sicker. All those symptoms that I was having elevated to a whole new level. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything for myself. My husband had to do everything for me. And my daughter, I couldn't see my daughter. And I didn't want her to come around me because she works in the hospital. But she works behind the scenes. And I couldn't see her. Um, All of my other family, they are back in Philadelphia, in North Carolina. They couldn't come to help me. So I got even sicker. So after going to the emergency room on April 4th, April 27th, they had to rush me back to the emergency room because I couldn't breathe. I was panting like a dog. I was throwing up. I had really bad acid reflux and heartburn so bad from whatever was inside of my chest. I was begging my husband to beat me in the back to help me. And so they took me back to the emergency room. And when I got back, again, my husband had to drop me off on the sidewalk. And I went in and they were like so cold. They was like, well, you were just here. You were just here on April 4th. We told you you didn't have COVID-19. What do you want us to do? I was like, I don't feel good. Um, You know, I described all those things that were going through my body. And they said, well, we'll do what we can do here. But, you know, it's pretty much up to your primary doctor. So they did another EKG. They did another CAT scan. And they did a lung x-ray. And they told me to go home. 
and told me nothing was wrong with me. I had that same upper respiratory infection that I had had back on April 4th. And apparently I wasn't doing what they told me to do. So I came home, I was so sick. I thought I was gonna die. I called my daughter, I talked to my daughter and told her to make sure she had all the life insurance stuff situated. Make sure that she had my will and everything ready. My goodness. Cause I thought I was gonna die. So I just got even sicker. And uh, my primary physician that I had had for five years, I couldn't get to see her. But I finally got her on the phone and finally set up to talk to her. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Finally set up to talk to her. And then she said, you don't have COVID. You got to stop watching the television. You got to stop mimicking what you're seeing on television because you're stressed out. And you're making yourself sick. And I was surprised to hear that from her because she had been my doctor for five years ever since I moved here. Because right. you, when you move to a new place, the first thing we do, Kim, we find a church and we find a That's doctor. Right. That's right. That's right. And she totally gaslit me and blew me off. And she told me to watch Lifetime movies and to work jigsaw puzzles and I would feel better. And she told me that she could give me some stress medication and something for my anxiety. And I told her it wasn't stress because I was a single parent and I knew stress. And I told her I had went to school for nine years. So I knew stress, I wasn't stressed. I was so sick, but she wouldn't help me. And she told me maybe I need to see a therapist and talk to a therapist. So I told her, you know what, fine, I'll do that. At this point, I would talk to anybody, but she wasn't willing to help me, and she got off the phone call. So I found a therapist, and I talked to her, and right away she told me just the opposite. She's like, you know, you don't sound like somebody who would be playing with this thing. Right. You know, and she was like, I advise you to get a new doctor. So my daughter, at that point, my daughter was, she was scared, but she was trying to be brave. My husband was trying to be brave, but he, at the same time, was getting tested constantly because he's a dining service director of a senior living facility, Mm -hmm. and they were doing everything they could to stay off the radar. They didn't want it in that facility and they didn't want to be one of the facilities that the National Guard was having to come in and help. Right. So he was doing everything he could to take care of me. He was doing everything he could to stay safe. So meanwhile, I was still going downhill. I was getting sicker and sicker and nothing was helping. So they said, well, you're going to have to go back to the emergency room. And at the same time, Leanne, my daughter, was doing everything she could do to find me a new doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were looking and trying to find me a new doctor. And we were able to find one, but she couldn't see me until like the second week of June. Wow. But I couldn't wait till then. Why? Because it was like it was like May 28th at that point. So they took me back to the emergency room for the third time. 
They were cold. They were mean. Mm. They were dismissive. They were pretty much sick of myself. And they did nothing. Wow. They did the same tests. They sent me home. So I had been in communication with a new doctor. And she had said that before she could see me, she needed all three of those reports from the emergency room. And she needed to see them so she could know what she was dealing with. So we got them reports to her, got everything to her. And she called and she said, I need you to come in and do some blood work so that I can confirm what I already know, but I need this blood work from you. So they took me in and got the blood work. And the next day she called and she said, not only did she have, she had good news and she had not so good news. Mm -hmm. So she told me that the test they gave me back on April 4th was a false negative wow. and that I had had COVID-19 and it was in my body and my numbers were all over the place and that I needed to see a lung specialist right away. So they got me in to see the lung specialist and she said that there were nodules in my lungs that had formed from COVID-19 and it was a lot of scar tissue in my lungs from COVID-19 and that I had to have a procedure done because they wanted to go down and look around and they wanted to do a biopsy on those nodules. Right. So I got in and I had all that done. So thank God the nodules weren't cancerous, but they're there. Praise God. And they're in my lungs and there were spots on my liver. So since they weren't cancerous, they did another CAT scan a couple of weeks ago because my they just want to monitor those right. nodules. Amazing. And they want to monitor the my lungs and everything because my only option at that point was to let them go do invasive stuff and go and go digging for stuff. Right. And I don't want that. No, absolutely not. You had been through enough at that point. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am now. Um, so it's been, it's been since March. And like you said, it's been a long journey. We've seen so many people have the effects of COVID take on a different manifestation in each one. We've had some yeah. people who have had mild cases. We've had some people who have, who have, you know, have gotten to the, to the space where they could not fight off the virus. And then yes. there are those who are still having some of the long-term effects, just like yourself. And yes. I'm sure that is frustrating. And, you know, first of all, I am just, you know, I, I'm so sorry that you had to experience this and to be able to mm -hmm. have to go back to the hospital repeatedly, knowing that you were not going to be treated in the manner in which you needed to be treated, that, that they mm -hmm. were going to be dismissive about the things that were going on inside of you and, and, and to negate them 
you know, and mm-hmm. knowing that there were so many questions, you would think that they would want to have you there so that they can monitor and see how this whole virus virus was manifesting itself to different people. You would think that they would want to have kept you there, but to keep sending you home and, and to just give you now, when you went back the second time, did they give you another COVID test when you went back then? No, because they said I had had one on April 4th. And early on back then, they were kind of picking and choosing who gotcha. were getting those COVID tests. Gotcha. So it wasn't like, you know, every time, no, it wasn't Why? like that. Because now you can go as many times as you want and you yeah, can go away and, you know, yeah. go up and have it done uh, preventively. But, you know, to have to go through that experience and to know that yeah. some of the long-term effects that you have, you know, that you currently have, and are mm-hmm. still experiencing because they're not they they have not subsided, correct? No, they are I long. Still have, no, this is long term. I still have days that I can do nothing. You know, I don't really get to go out. I don't. My husband takes me out, but I don't go out by myself because we have what we call crashes, and you just never know what or when or how anything's going to happen. And I have an oximeter that I have to carry with me constantly to make sure that my oxygen level doesn't drop. So my life is, is different now. But I'm thankful because in the middle of all this, I had one of my really good friends to die from COVID. Oh, my goodness. And we have been friends since the 80s because we were in the Army together. Mm-hmm. And we were so good friends. And he was like one of the strongest people I had ever known because he was 82nd Airborne. And he used to jump out of planes and stuff. So when he died, I had to change my whole attitude because I I was angry at first. I was really mad. I used to be really mad at whoever gave it to me. But then when Gary died, I was like, I can't be mad anymore because God spared my life. And I told God by sparing my life that I I would fight, that I would become an advocate, that I wouldn't shut up, that I would never be quiet, that I would give him all the glory and sing all his praises. Amen, amen, yes. So that's what I'd be doing. And, you know, now I'm I'm so thankful to be alive. Yeah. You know, my life is not like it was a year ago because – me and my husband, we always said we was in semi-early retirement. And back in November, I had just got certified. I went back and got a certification so I could be a life coach. Nice. And I didn't get a chance to do it. And I was going to launch the business and I was going to do all those things. That was just in November. And by March, my whole life had changed. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm a... I'm a mustard seed faith person. Yeah. And I wear my mustard seed around my neck. And uh, I've had moments, but I'm very active in a lot of survivor groups from day one. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I know that they do have some of the uh, COVID support groups. And and the question that I have for you is, that you know there are still people like i said you've had these experiences you've you've gone through uh you know going in and out of the hospital and dealing with upper respiratory infections and things of that nature you've had all of these things to go on 
And there are still people out there who are saying that this is a farce. This is something that's not real. Just like the, the, um, the person that you spoke to was saying that, oh, it's psychological. It's not something that's really happening. And as your body is breaking down, like you don't know your own body. What do you mm -hmm. say to those people who are saying that this is, this is something that's not real or they're not going to wear their masks? Talk to me a little bit about that. For, for people like that, I have, uh, I have decided that really after I tell them my story or after I share my truth, it's up to them to believe them, up to them to believe me rather because I'm living proof and there's thousands of people like myself who have experienced this. Uh, there's marriages that have broken up. There's kids that have left parents, parents that have left kids. I had a friend, um, she was working in a prison. She's a prison guard mm -hmm. and her coworker had COVID-19 and didn't tell anybody. And she lived with her mom and she took it home and gave it to her mom and her mom died. My goodness. And it's, it's just so many stories and there's so many people that are going through stuff. So I don't argue with people anymore now when they tell me I'm a hoax. I did a lot of interviews. Through those groups, I became very active and very vocal. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of interviews and the feedback that I got, it was, it was hurtful at first. You know, people called me sheep. People asked me how much did I get paid to do those interviews. Wow. And wow. the the way that some people in the African American community treated me, that that really just pushed me to a whole nother level of sticking to my faith. Right. Because a lot of people that I reached out to when I first got COVID that had platforms that they could use and to share my story and to help get the word out, they didn't want to be bothered. And they would say things like, oh, I'm sorry, but uh, you, you know, I don't want to talk about that on my page or, you know, that's TMI, that's too much information. Unbelievable. And, you know, it's like, well, what about your status and what about all these materialistic things? And I was just like so shocked because to see that the African-American community was treating this thing like a dirty little family secret made me fight harder. And they poured into my spirit and they made me fight. So I lost a lot of people that I thought were my friends or associates or acquaintances or whatever. But for every person that I lost, God replaced. Yes. So when I run up on somebody and they don't believe me, I say, you know, I pray for you that I, and I pray that nobody in your family don't get COVID-19 because COVID-19 is not a respect of persons. No, and what people don't understand, Kim, is COVID-19 doesn't care. COVID-19 doesn't see black, white, right. yellow, light skin, black, African. It doesn't see any of that. And it's leveled the playing field for the world. Yes, it has. So it's no longer the have and have nots, even though people want to still think that matters because I had health insurance and they still treated me bad. 
So none of that stuff matters. You know, where you live, how many bathrooms you got, how many square footage in your house, right. all that stuff has been pushed to the side. So with people like um, Trump dismissed us, it gave the world the okay to dismiss us. Wow. But God gave me the power to speak up. And I was even asked a few weeks before the election, um, how did I feel? And what, how did I feel about the way that Donald Trump was treating COVID-19 people? And I said, I don't feel anything. All I can do is pray for him. That's because it. even though I'm sick, I still have peace of mind because God spared my life. And I'm the only person in my family to get COVID-19. Mm -hmm. My oldest sister is 80 years old. I have another sister who's 74. And then I have a set of twins who are 70. My daughter didn't get COVID. My sisters didn't get COVID. My nieces and nephews, nobody in my family got COVID. So if it stopped at me, if God chose me, and it stopped at me to be the lighthouse for them. That's right. Then that's what I accept. So yeah. I don't, I just say to people, you know, I pray you don't get it. And they laugh at us and they mock us really bad. And they say, you know, we made this up. But I don't know anybody, including myself, who would call this upon myself. Right. I right. wouldn't call this a come upon my family. I wouldn't want my 80-year-old sister to be, a, to be wanting to get to me, and she can't get to me because I'm the baby, and they always been there for me. Right. And my sisters couldn't come to me, and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't hop on a plane and come. There was nothing they could do. So I know that it's real. People like yourself believe us. That's and right. we thank you for believing us because, like I said, it's not a respect of persons and people don't want to wear a mask. I can't make them. Only thing I can do is do like Jeremiah and sound the alarm. That's it. And I think that's what you've done. You've done a wonderful job of sounding the alarm, of sharing your story. And I appreciate you doing that because, you know, we don't want to ever be in a space where we're not respective of persons and this this pandemic this virus just like you said it doesn't pick and choose it's not selective and so when 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 we talk about things that we can do to try to help others and you know we see people being dismissive we see people you know pushing people aside no i don't believe it no i don't want to have to deal with it it makes it difficult and it makes it hard. And I'm sure that during that, that time, you know, thank God for your family and for your husband being your strength because they couldn't be there in that hospital with you. And all they can do is, is be there and be prayer warriors for you. Because mm -hmm. at that point, when you're feeling weak, you need that strength. You need to know that people are on your side. And that wasn't what you experienced. And I think that that's a hard thing because sometimes People don't want to talk about those things. I know we're talking about those who are on the front lines, who are our heroes, who are, who are going out there and, and are, are, you know, standing out there helping people and, and 
you know, helping to take care of people and then bring them back into a space of peace and in a space of health. But in the very beginning, that wasn't necessarily the case. So we have to have conversations like this to let people know that these things still exist. There are still some people out there who are dealing with this in a negative way. Yeah. I have a, I have a um, dear friend whose twin daughter was just diagnosed and her roommate was throwing things at her because didn't want to be near her. Here, just take your things and just be over there. I don't want to be around you. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to be in a space of, of, of being sick and not feeling well and not being able to defend yourself and not being able to, to, you know, advocate for yourself the way you do. So it's important that these stories go out. It's important that we create platforms like this so that we can tell people the severity of what happens when, when the viruses hit close to home. Everybody has been touched by this. They know a friend of a friend. They know somebody. There are very few people, I believe, on this planet that have not been touched by this in some form or fashion or have, has not seen, seen the rippling effects that it has had. And so I know that there's one thing that, that um, you have partnered with a young lady. Her name is Julie Lamb. She is a photographer, and she has started a program called Mass Together America. And it's a grassroots community platform where they're just encouraging the people of America to mask up. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to meet with her briefly and just talk to me a little bit about that, that um, platform and, and what it is that you all are seeking to do. Yeah, she, I just kind of stumbled across that. And um, I just, as soon as I saw it, it just touched my heart because it's something so simple. It's not asking for money. It's not, it's not asking. She don't ask for donations. She don't ask for anything. All she was asking for was pictures of people wearing masks. So I just took it upon myself and connected with her and we just became so close in a little bit of time and she is so passionate about it and I became passionate about it because like I said that's the one thing that everybody can do to make a difference so I just took it like I said uh, we're building a wall Uh and what we're doing we're building a wall of photos from people all over the world, from everywhere, from all walks of life, wearing a mask, wearing a, whether it's a, a regular surgical mask or if it's a mask you made yourself, it doesn't matter. As long as you share a picture with us of a mask, then we take it and we post it on Facebook, we post it on Instagram, right. just to try to help bring awareness to just how that mask can save your life. Because if, you, if I'm wearing a mask, I'm, not, I'm wearing it for you. And you That's wear right. a mask, you're wearing it for me. So if we all wear a mask, it can make a big difference because you know everybody's thinking about, oh, the vaccine is coming, the vaccine is coming. Well, you gotta have something to hold on to until that vaccine comes. That's right. So if you wear a mask, you could save your life. And it's, it's, it's picking up momentum now because people are sharing some really creative masks. And it's just so fun. And it just for a second, 
for a split second, it takes your mind off of everything that's going on. That's and right. it puts a, 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 a spark of hope because we have kids wearing masks in pictures and some people are sending us masks where their pets have a mask on. <laughs> and so families are sending their pictures and it's just uh, uh, something that we all can do because to sit back and do nothing is not right. And the economy, the way things are now, you know, we would love to be making donations here and giving money here and giving money there. But the truth be told, it's not like that right about now. The discretionary income in a lot of households have dissolved. That's right. So if you see something come across your page or somebody say, you know, can you just share a picture of yourself wearing a mask? You feel good That's because right. you have given, you have made a difference, and it's not all about the money. So um, a lot of things have been, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say tossed at me. I'll say presented to me uh-huh. about people who want me to be spokesperson for this or help me sell this and help me sell that. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. This, my- this is not the time. That's, I don't want to be associated with anything right about now that's trying to chase that dollar. So this particular thing that I'm doing with these masks is coming from my heart. Yeah. And like I said, I'm very passionate about it. And I just know that it's making a difference. And that's all I want to do is just bring some joy, give people something to smile about again. And just for a moment, just be able to step away. Yeah, I see. You see, you 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 went right into the question that I ask all of my guests at the end of the show, which is, how are you living in the now? And and you you pretty much told us that that what you're doing is just like you said, trying to bring smiles back to people's faces, you know, and and to, and to be able to exist in the space that you're in. So yeah. if there's anything that you would like to 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 let people know an anecdote that they could possibly use to talk about how they can live in the now, some things that they can do today. What would that be? What would you like to share? Just come to the reality that the world is not going to go back to the way it was, that things are different now. You have to go forth with the, with the right attitude and you got to, shift your priorities, whatever they may be. And um, especially when it comes to your family, if there are any broken fences in your family, please fix them. Please fix them before you go into 2021. Uh, Whatever was going on, squash it. Because you don't want to be stuck with a woulda, shoulda, coulda, wouldas. That's so right. that would be, you know, if anything, if, if, if I, I learned this myself and I can honestly say that there are no rifts, I have no rifts in my family. You know, we're family, everybody family got drama, but me, myself, I'm at peace and that's what it's all about. So, you know, I just want to say like, a, you know, please mend fences don't go into 2021 thinking that it's going to go back to 2019 because it can't. And you don't want it to because a lot of people's lives have been forever changed. 
a lot of people have lost everything and you running around saying, oh, I want my life back and I want this and the other. We can't get our lives back. We have to go forth. We have to live in the now. And that's living in the now is accepting the world for what it is and fixing your family. Fix it because you don't know from one minute to the next, what's going to happen. And that, that's, that's, that's been shown because a lot of, like I said, a lot of people have lost everything. And it was a lot of empty chairs at the table this year. And it's going to be a lot of empty tables, a lot of empty chairs at the table from now on going forth. So if you make peace within your own family and mend those broken fences at least tie a rope around it to hold it together. Then going forth, you you won't have no regrets because you don't want to be mad with somebody and COVID-19 strike them and take them down and you can't say goodbye. So fix it now and go forth and that'll help you get peace of mind. Yes. Oh my goodness. No wiser words have been spoken. Men fences, that's something that's important and that's something that we need to do. And we need to be respecters of persons and we need to, to mask up as, as uh, you and uh, Julie are talking about and, and really seek to do things that are going to bring us again to a space of peace. And that's what this show is all about. And so with that, I say thank you so much for being with me, Marjorie, for spending this time, for sharing your story for bringing some insight into what COVID-19 looks like long-term. And know that I am praying for you always, praying with you and, and praying that, that you continue to progressively get a little stronger with each day, but just knowing that you are in God's hands. And that's just, that, that's a testimony in and of itself. You're here and we're happy that you're here and that you've had an opportunity to share your story. I do want to tell people to make sure that they join that movement of Mass Together America and go to hashtag, it's on Instagram, it's hashtag Mask Together America. And then is there one on, is it um, Mass Together America on Facebook as well? Yes, it is. Yes, yes it, it is. We're Mask on both platforms. Yes, and, and uh, go again, right. I invite everybody. Yes, invite you. Come and join us. Yes, go on, yes. share a picture. And, and, and be placed on that wall and just show that we're, we're about, it's not about the money, it's about humanity. It's about us coming yes. together and, and like, like Marjorie said, and mending those fences so that that way we're always in a space of peace and in a space of love. So again, we thank you for being with us, Marjorie. We wish you the best. And we thank, thank you all for listening and for joining us on this episode of How Now, where we talk about how to live in the now. And until the next time we speak, I wish you peace. Thank you. Bye.